welcome back to Trace Material. This week, we're talking shop with Cameron McIntosh, the owner of Hemp Lime Construction Company, Americhanvre. Cameron is a leader in the emerging U.S. hemp lime landscape. And in this episode, he chats with HML co-director Jansara Ruth about how his past work with ceramics and working at a plant nursery led him to hemp. Cameron let us in on the work of Americhanvre and laid out his hopes for the future of the hemp industry. Here's Jansara. So Cameron, so great that you can be here with us today to talk about um, hempcrete, hemp and lime. It's um, it's it was so great to meet you actually in person at that uh, U.S. Hemp Building Association meeting in Ketchum last October. Uh, you know we had seen a little bit about America's genre, and um, and then to meet you in person was really exciting. Wonderful, wonderful to be here, and and thank you both for for having me. And um, I agree, what a what a special event that was in Ketchum, and you know especially now considering that it may be a very long time until we have all of those people in the same room at the same time again. Yeah, it was fortuitous, actually, right? Right. There's <laughs> so much energy around this idea of bringing these materials together, hemp and lime, and and uh, thinking about the future of the built world. <laughs> it's really right. exciting. Right. So, you know, we're, we, as you know, we've been doing a lot of research about hemp and lime and the combination of the two to make you know, more sustainable, healthier buildings. And for us, this is just such an exciting, um, you know, new field and kind of an, an, a new way forward. But um, if we look back and, you know, you have a lot of experience building, getting your hands in the material and building with this stuff. And so we're really eager to hear insights. We, I thought we would just start with them. Um, just hearing a little bit about how you first got into it, like what were your your first experience with hemp and lime? Sure, yeah. So I have uh, a ceramics degree, um, Bachelor of Fine Art with a concentration in ceramics. Um, and when I graduated from college, I moved back to Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is where my wife grew up, um, whom I met at college in North Carolina. Um, and I, the first sort of employment that I found was at this amazing uh, working history museum in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, where they're working with a catalog of reissued art deco tile. It's called the uh, Moravian Pottery and Tile Works. Um, That's an amazing place. Isn't it? Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And, and for the listeners, it's, uh, again, a working history museum built by Henry Mercer, um, cast concrete, uh, in the style of a Spanish mission. Uh, so it's just an incredible, incredible place. And if you're in Pennsylvania, absolutely check it out. Um, wonderful experience. Um, got a taste and an appetite for handmade tile. Um, recognized that there was an appetite for that tile in the area as well. Um, and unfortunately, that apprenticeship ended. Uh, it was shortly after the recession. I would have loved to have worked there. Um, but they just weren't hiring at that point. So I took a job uh, nearby at a native plant nursery um, so that I could stay in the area and be, you know, familiar with with driving there and, and all of that. And, you know, fast forward eight years later, I'm the operations manager at the, at the plant nursery. I've learned small business estimating and bidding. We did a lot of, um, you know, restoration projects, publicly bid, um, stormwater management, um, you know, uh, stream bank restoration, uh, things like that. And 
again, gained an appreciation for native plants uh, and wanted to pull both of those things together to create a line of planter boxes that had, you know, handmade tile on the outside and native plants on the inside for urban environments. We had lots of um, wealthy clients all, all over, you know, the tri-state area, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, uh, many of whom were in the city, in New York City. Um, and we're keen to have, you know, container gardens. So um, that was sort of the 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 impetus that led me to hempcrete. Um, I made one out of concrete. I made a planter box out of concrete. It was ungodly heavy. Um, I'm a I'm a big guy, and it took me and another big guy and and the risk of our toes basically to to move it. Um, so I knew that I needed to find something lighter. So I started doing research, um, found aircrete, aerated concrete. Um, if anyone's familiar, it's sort of a, a foam injected into, um, a slurry of Portland cement, wonderful product, very moldable, um, not very sustainable, obviously because it's Portland cement. Um, and that is when I stumbled across hempcrete. Uh, and I made the same mistake that everybody does when they hear that word. And I thought, Hey, I can use that in place of concrete in my planter boxes. Um, so following that path, uh, I reached out to a local historic masonry supply called Limeworks in Telford PA, which happened to be no more than 20 minutes from where I was working at the nursery and only about 40 minutes from where I lived. Uh, and they are one of three companies in the United States right now that is making a pre-bagged hempcrete binder. Uh, so this was, again, the, the, the fate sort of aligning. Um, so I called, I talked to Chris Hertz, uh, and, you know, had a wonderful conversation with him and he said, Hey, we're, you know, we're doing a workshop with hempcrete next month. Would you be interested? And I said, of course. So, um, I signed up. And, uh, their, their workshop series is geared towards professionals. So it's not cheap. Um, and because of the fact that hempcrete was relatively unknown still is, uh, this was June of 2018. Um, I was the only one that took the workshop. So I had Chris all to myself. Wow, amazing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so that was fantastic. And they knew what I wanted to do, um, as far as the planter boxes. So we, we spent the first two days retrofitting, um, what had been designed to look like a corn crib, but was actually, uh, the entrance into the bottom of their barn facility where they did, you know, a lot of blending and stuff from the high side, you know, on the back of the barn. Blending, um, but, blending of the hemp and lime? Uh, blending of, uh, all of their, um, masonry, you know, historic masonry supplies. So when they get, you know, an order for a particular color, um, they will, they can pigment, you know, their products and then send them out. So mostly lime-based products. All, all lime-based. Yeah. They, they work with, um, you know, natural hydraulic lime, unfortunately out of France. Um, but this hempcrete binder that they have, um, is actually, uh, hydrated limes sourced from within Pennsylvania. So it's about 90% a local product for us. Amazing. So again, all these things seem to be aligning. This is my first indication that the, the stars were aligning, um, and at the conclusion of that workshop, you know, Chris and both, both Chris and Andy, the owner said, Hey, you know, you, you seem to have your, your, your wits about you and you, you seem to be handy with tools and, and whatnot. We're getting leads for building with hempcrete and we don't have anyone to forward them to. Um, so, you know, I, I, I formed my LLC about, you know, three weeks later. 
Um, and, uh, you know, wasn't until about January of 2019 that I finally, you know, pulled the trigger and, and left my, my current job. Um, which was working at the nursery. Again, I had been there for almost eight years, um, learned, learned a lot about small business, project management, um, you know, all things that, that prepared me very well for what I was going to do next. That's amazing. So like you, you, um, you're working with plants. Now you're talking to people <laughs> with Lyme and then you <laughs> kind of see this connection about this one plant, hemp and yep. Lyme to put together and make you know, make a new material that you could um, not quite substitute for concrete, but something similar. Can you describe, like, do you remember the feeling of, like, touching the stuff the first time? Oh, yeah. Um, vividly. Um, I I had become aware, um, signed up for the workshop, but it was about a month or two out yet. Um, and I found a supplier in North Carolina that had hemp herd because I was just dying to get my hands on it. Um, I bought a box trailer and I drove it down to North Carolina, picked up the hemp herd, came back, um, you know, with this material and, uh, you know, the, the workshop, you know, when the workshop started, it was, it was very well done. It was a classroom, you know, the first few hours was sort of a classroom, uh, environment where Chris walked us through the, the science behind everything. Uh, and then we went out and uh started mixing and it happened to be their supply for that workshop happened to be from sunstrand um their so supply of hemp their of supply hemper. of hemp yeah mm-hmm. so it was in a big super sack and, um, and sunstrand is local right it's in kentucky sunstrand was was, was. local yeah. <laughs> um is no longer which is unfortunate and was sort of a big setback for the for the fiber industry but Um, you know, I just remember, you know, the, the hemp coming out of the super sack, uh, the smell of it, you know, it's, it's very earthy, uh, and wonderful. It does not smell like cannabis. Um, you know, it has a very clean straw farm kind of scent to it. And then, uh, the lime that they use at Limeworks again is hydrated lime from within Pennsylvania. There's no Portland cement. So it's very white. Um, it's pure white. Um, and when you mix the two together, you get this beautiful white, uh, you know, with, with, you know, punctuated with little yellow specks of the, of the hemp herd. Um, and it has this amazing smell to it. It's like, um, you know, a a very basic, but not intrusive or, or, you know, harsh smell, um, you know, and it, and it has this, you know, instantly this, this feeling of, of the fact that you're working, you know, right away that you're working with something natural and clean and healthy, and it does not in any way, um, make you think, you know, of, of traditional building materials with that petrochemical off-gassing horrible smell, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it was, very, you know, even from the start, very, you know, I hesitate to say spiritual, um, you know, the, the experience, um, you know, and the retrofit that we did on that corn crib included the floor. Um, we did a little bit of the floor, uh, the walls, and then there was a dividing wall between a shed in the back and the stairwell going down, um, which was cast much like you would cast uh, for new construction. So it was a really great project and a really great review of all of the different techniques that you might come in front of, you know, on one little, you know, concise packaged project. So 
And how long did that little project take you? We did it. We did our portion of it in two days. Um, and the, the rest of it, I think, was finished in a day or so by, by uh, you know, Andy's guys. But uh-huh. we probably did about 50% of it in two days. And they weren't, you know, long days because there was lots of question and answer and discovery and, and things like that going on. But and was that all cast in place? It was. Yeah, and it, it was. And, and again, as, as a retrofit, you know, detailing for a retrofit is a little bit different from, you know, the, the you know, new construction cast in place method. So, you know, you have to be aware of and maintain an air gap behind the material uh, when you're placing it next to a sheet good, you know, which in, in the siding or, or whatever, you know, the, the cladding that was on the, on the building was a, basically plywood. So you can't have that material directly against it. So we, we tried a couple of different things um, and uh, eventually ended by, you know, putting in a, um, an erosion control fabric. So it was basically straw. So we just used a little bit of straw. Um, and again, this, this corn crib was not sealed tight. It didn't have a vapor barrier or anything like that, like you would have on, on modern construction. So it was relatively porous um, to begin with, but, um, but yeah, it was again, a, a great review of, of all of the different scenarios that you might, you know, be faced with when you're, when you're trying to build with hempcrete. So, um, and then the final day, um, we would have, we would have worked longer on it, but again, because I was the only participant and Chris knew why I was there, he said, Hey, let's, you know, on this, on this final day, let's, uh, let's take the time and, and let's make a planner box. So that was great. So, um, you know, they had all kinds of material on hand. We did some, uh, we did some different mixes, test batches, um, to get started. And then, you know, in that process sort of, you know, chose the one that we felt was the best before it had cured. Obviously we didn't get to the point of seeing them cure, but just, you know, by feel sort of chose the one that was best. And we cast, um, the first planner box in the same form, that I had made that original concrete planter box. So um, that was, that was a great sort of full circle moment, you know? And how did you, what was the difference? Like, you know, from your foot, from your, so you had a concrete planter box and you had an aerated concrete block air, uh, planter box. And then you had the, the hemp and lime. What, what was the difference? Weight in one word, weight. I mean, it was, less than a quarter of the weight of the concrete box. And we actually used um, a natural cement, you know, to make that first one. It wasn't the Limeworks hempcrete binder. It was actually a natural cement um, that they had on hand. Um, and it still exists. It's sitting on my porch right now. So, um, you know, it was, again, the the lightweight. I mean, instantly I knew that, you know, there was a potential here to use the hemp herd as an aggregate, maybe not with the traditional lime mix, um, and we've sort of been on that path for the, for the cast objects, for the, for the planter boxes, tweaking it a little bit, um, you know, and, and it's, it's progressed, but it's the kind of thing where I'm, I'm, I'm taking it slowly and I'm, I'm doing the work of, of, you know, stress testing these boxes before we just release them to the public, because I don't want them to fail in our climate. We've got the freeze thaw issue to be, you know, aware of and, and to, to manage, but. Um, you know, since then, uh, you know, we, we started our company, set ourselves up as a, an insulation subcontractor specifically, um, don't, don't want to be bogged down by being a GC, a general contractor. Um, although I could do that, 
um, I want to focus specifically on installing this material, um, you know, and, and then also develop a line of, of cast objects, decorative um, and otherwise for, you know, for interior and exterior use. So that's sort of where we've landed, consulting, install, and uh, the, the cast objects. That's great. What a great trajectory. I mean, just imagining you as a ceramics major from start, like really working with your hands with this natural clay to working at the Mercer Museum, which is the first cast in place uh, concrete building in the United States, wasn't it? Something like that. (laughs) Which is just kind of amazing. And then, you know, working with this tile and then going into working with hemp and lime, you know, then working at the nursery with plants and then hemp and lime, it's this trajectory that just makes, makes it amazing. Because, you know, we thought about the Mercer Museum a lot, actually, when we were thinking about, you know, cast in place hemp, hemp and lime, because, it, you know, there's a lot of firsts that are happening right there around you in Allentown, you know, this, historically the Mercer Museum and now cast in place Hemp, hemp and lime. Really, what yeah. a great story! You know, it's 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 very it's it's uh it's it's amazing because I, I don't think about it you know consistently. But the the path that that led me to to where I am now is um uh it seems to have all had a purpose, and I think that's how everyone everyone ends up you know in their life kind of arriving where they were supposed to be. But um, you know, it certainly doesn't, it certainly feels like there was a, you know, some, some sort of cosmic push. <laughs> That's, great. That's great. So can you tell us a little bit about now, like today, how are you working with hemp and lime? To, I mean, I get the, the part about the, um, I guess you described a bit about these cast in place objects. So the planters and that, but it, in terms of working with hemp and lime for buildings, um, and you talked a little bit about retrofit and a little bit about new construction, so, you know, what's your ideal working scenario now? So we have, um, we have basically gotten to a point where, um, you know, the, the, the building side of it is, is very much our, our main focus. Um, you know, I would, I would love to in the, in the downtime as, as a seasonal sort of business, um, I would love in the downtime to keep developing, you know, the, the, the planters and other things, but, um, the, the interest in this material has just continued to grow. Um, and we have, you know, made the connections. I think a lot of it stemming from the, you know, the, the, the summit in Idaho, um, where we all sort of met each other for the first time, um, to now where, you know, we have legitimate interest from people in our area, which is super compelling. I mean, at, at a certain point and certainly for companies like Hempitecture, you know, we have to be athletic and, and travel to do, to do projects. We're starting to develop, uh, a book of business in, in our area specifically, which is very important to us. We'd really like to see this stay local, um, and remain local. Um, and, and hemp, production does stand to be local lime as you know john sara stands to be local you can find it in every country in the world um so yeah we're we're focusing you know heavily on our area um have a a a handful of projects um you know some retrofits um some new building some very exciting projects that'll be new building um, and then also, you know, a few clients for whom we've, we've actually cast objects. Um, one of them is a, a CBD lounge in, um, in Stroudsburg area. Uh, so that's not too far from me and also not too far from the city. 
Um, and we made them uh, a bar, you know, for their for their lounge um, for consumption um, that people can sit at. And it's at the base of its hempcrete, you know, so it's really, really great. Uh, and then also in Stroudsburg, another friend um, is opening uh, a bed and breakfast uh, in an old boarding house on a wonderful farm that he bought. Um, it's a, a heritage organic farm. I call it heritage organic because it's not certified organic, but it was owned by the same family for 150 years and never has a drop of pesticide or fertilizer been used on the property. And you can tell the the native species are there. The native plants are there. The the soil is wonderful and healthy. Um, but we're, we're going to basically be retrofitting and adding on to uh, this old, you know, five bedroom boarding house that's on the property um, with hempcrete. We're, we're also building a small cottage uh, or retrofitting a small cottage on the property to be the, the caretaker's cottage. Um, you know, clients, clients nearby also that are looking to build new. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how quickly, um, you know, the, the interest sort of blossomed. And, you know, as I was mentioning to the two of you ahead of time here, um, it seems as though, and we're cautiously optimistic that, you know, this, that green building in general and hempcrete in, in particular, um, may, may just be recession proof. Um, it seems that as, as though people who are, you know, interested in doing this or who may have been interested in doing this before are even more motivated in the face of, you know, a, a generational challenge, this pandemic, um, they're, they're literally, they're more motivated to make intentional decisions. And I think we're seeing that across the board. CSAs are booked, you know, small farms are, are, are struggling to keep up with the demand for, for local products. So, um, yeah, it's just such a great, you know, this is the part about hemp and lime that is really exciting is that it's, um, it just has that similar movement to the, um, uh, to the small farm kind of, you know, local agriculture, local food movement, you know, it, it, it there's a lot right. of similarity. So you have so much enthusiasm for this and, you know, it's just, it's infectious, your, your enthusiasm <laughs> and your optimism about the industry at large, about, you know, building with hemp and lime retrofitting. Is there anything that keeps you up at night? Oh, <laughs> I am, I am a project manager at heart. Um, it is part of my personality to want to solve problems for other people. And when I get in front of a project, you know, like the one I described in Stroudsburg, um, the, the bed and breakfast, I literally think about it all night long until it's done. <laughs> so aside from the day to day operations, um, that certainly keeps me up at night. What else keeps me up at night? I would say, um, the fear that, you know, or the, uh, the apprehension around the fact that, you know, people, with industrial hemp focused so heavily on CBD because it was the obvious, you know, moneymaker and everyone was going to be a millionaire overnight. The, the venture capitalist vultures were, were swarming around that in industry and have now sort of turned their focus to fiber. And, uh, I want very much to see this industry stay just inclusive, um, you know, local, all of those things. And it, and it, you know, may seem odd to hear that from a prototypical white male business owner, but what we have in the early industry here is a collection of people who are very committed to 
you know, closing the, the gender and racial equality gaps. Um, and that is something that I learned and gained a respect for and started thinking about in terms of my own business via, you know, our friend Judy Wicks and all together now PA, um, very, very much changed my mind about what I wanted for my business and for this industry. And it is more important to me that we find a way to fix these problems within this industry, you know, and allow it to be a model for other industries where, um, we are, you know, focused on keeping the industry local and sustainable and just, um, I think now more than ever, people realize that I think that's part of why we're, we're getting the interest that we're getting. Um, it makes sense. We, we all have seen very clearly now how fragile our global supply chains are. Um, we are all witness. We have all been forced to witness, um, the, the, the racial inequality in this country. I mean, these things are front and center. Now we all had nothing else to do, but watch that horrible video. You know what I mean? It was, it was there. Um, and I think that, you know, they, they say that, you know, times like this are, are, are when we, we take large steps forward, um, you know, in terms of human growth. And um, I feel that, you know, I really do feel that. And it's something that before this had never been much, you know, it had never been very high on my radar. You know, the, the, the idea of, of, you know, focusing on keeping, you know, a local economy alive. And I think capitalism is what, destroyed our, our communities. And I'm not a, a communist or a Marxist or anything like that. Um, all about making a profit, but doing it in such a way that it isn't in spite of the people around you or the planet. You know what I mean? So that, that really to find a, to find a way to keep that, <laughs> to find a way to keep that front and center in this industry and not allow you know, it to just become another old white man's game, you know, is, is, is important to me and participating in that. And, you know, even Judy was, was, was speaking with, you know, Eric and I, the other day, Eric is the owner of the Hempstead in in Stroudsburg and said, you know, when I was your age, I was, I was very motivated to do things for myself. She was like, I'm, I was not like you guys at all. And now, you know, at the age she is now, she's, encouraging all of us to think differently about what it means to be an entrepreneur and, and how to, to start a business, um, and do it in such a way that it is good for you as the entrepreneur. Anybody who says they're not in it to make money is lying. We're, we're all in it for, for that. Um, but to do it in such a way that again, that it's not in spite of the, the people around you or the planet. And I think that's our generation's, you know, charge. I think that's what we, we have to do that. I have children. We have to do that, you know? <laughs> so lots of things keep me up at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see. What if we think just um, just towards the future a little bit? Like if you were imagine, you know, 10 years down the road, what do you think the industry would look like then? Or, you know, even like what's that? What's the path towards that? The, the path towards that is encouraging, you know, via political channels, um, you know, um, subsidies and, and grant funding for, um, you know, processing facilities such that, you know, a, a group of farmers could band together um, and pay for the equipment to process the hemp that they're growing. You know, if we're going to be specific about hemp, 
hemp building, hemp and lime building. Um, we need access to local materials, period. Um, if we don't have that, the price stays high. Um, it will never become anything more than a cottage industry. So access to local materials and competition for existing materials. You know, part of the reason why the Limeworks binder is $30 is because they know that if you're going to import a binder from France, it'll cost you about $30. So there isn't much competition yet. Um, I would hope that within, you know, even, even shorter of a period, but, you know, certainly by, by 10 years from now that we are getting our materials from, you know, let's say within 150 miles of where they're being used. Um, and at that point we're, we're maximizing the, the carbon storage potential of this material, which we're all aware of. We all know is true. There the research is light on the ground as to what, you know, what that actually means, how much carbon is it actually sequestering? Um, but obviously if we're getting the materials from within a certain radius of the projects that are being built, um, you know, we're maximizing that potential. So I would, I would love to see, um, you know, that there are, you know, many people building with hemp. I'm very open, very open to talking with people about this. I share everything I know because I want people to be doing it. Um, and that you're seeing some sort of government, you know, subsidy or, you know, uh, encouragement for using these materials. And I think that's started to happen. You know, we have the, the carbon tax credit is coming. The carbon tax market for trading carbon tax credits between farmers and industry is coming. Um, so, you know, I think that all of these things tie together and it's, Again, it's a very hempster sort of thing to say, but I think that hemp is the answer to a lot, a lot of the issues that we have. And I would love to see it being worked into as many things as possible and hopefully with political tailwinds behind it to carry it into that, you know, mandates to, to incorporate it into as many, you know, industries as possible. So that's, that's my, my hope for, for 10 years from now. <laughs> That's great. That's great. We you know it's really great to hear your insights, not only on hemp building and in your start, but also just how you see the whole picture, you know, the supply chain, how do how we need to, you know, bring things local, not just by all the great ingredients that are available in France, but somehow make them available right there in Pennsylvania. And um, that you're so aware of that, of the larger impacts and the kind of the systems of production and the systems of labor that can make this a very equitable and local and kind of really sustainable um, industry of building. You know, there's so much that we didn't get to talk about yet, but, uh, but we can talk about that, you know, another time. It's just, it's just clear that your, um, your entrepreneurial uh, insights and growth and kind of trajectory just are, are really, really exciting because it feels like it's all like really in the, a great place for, um, for making the planet a little bit better and people's lives a little bit better. It's, it's great to hear you. And we talk. have, we have wonderful leaders. Um, you know, again, Judy with all together now, um, the two of you, John Sara and Allison at the, the healthy materials lab. I mean, all of these, all of these, uh, you know, I, I should say it. Women have, have made an incredible impact on me in my life and, and what, what I want for my business. So um, very grateful for the, the strong female leadership that, that we've been, you know, blessed to, to, to work with. 
um, and learned so much. I mean, I'm a very different, very different approach to business than I would have had without those influences. So thank you as well. It's great to hear. <laughs> Thanks so much, Cameron. <laughs>